No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Thank you for joining in on Talking Bass in PDX. This is the Bass and Warm Water Forum where we talk fishing in the Northwest. We'll be talking a little bass fishing. Occasionally we get into some walleye fishing. And we'll even talk a little bit about warm water panfish occasionally. Hi, I'm Don Clark and I'm your host. I am looking forward to spring here in the Northwest. We get a little more sun A little less rain, the temperatures are going up just a bit, and that means that the water temperatures are going up and the bass are going to be biting. My favorite time of the year. As many of you know, I started the podcast to record interviews that we might want to re-listen to over time. Well, my guest is one that you will want to get your pen and paper out because you're going to want to listen to this one several times. We're going to be talking bass fishing on the Columbia River. My guest, president of the Bass Federation, Oregon, Tom Hartshorn, on the show today. We cover a lot of topics on the show today, from the river to water, rocks, and we even throw in some safety tips. But before I get to the interview, I'd like to thank the team at Lunker Tech for partnering with Talking Bass in PDX. Let's hear more about LunkerTech. LunkerTech offers custom fishing rods shipped anywhere within the U.S. and local rod repair from southwest Washington to the Willamette Valley of Oregon. LunkerTech's goal is to work with you to build a rod fit to meet your unique needs. They also offer pre-built rod options that have the same quality components as their custom rods built on a foundation of providing education LunkerTech strives to help you learn, grow, and share your knowledge to help build the next generation of fishermen. Visit LunkerTech.com to join their email list and get updates about pre-build rod releases, coupons, and educational content. Also learn more about the education they provide through their virtual angler learning center. Visit LunkerTech.com. Well, let's get to it. Let's talk to Tom Hartshorn about fishing on the Columbia River, and here is that interview. Well, Tom, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast today. How have you been? I'm doing great, Don. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's great to have you on. Now, you and I have been talking, even before the call started today, about river fishing, and specifically we're going to be talking about the Columbia River from the Bonneville Dam on up into the Boardman area. That's the area of the river we're going to be talking about today. And I know that you fish that area a lot, so I was hoping I'm going to be able to to pick a few things out and uh, get some tips and tricks for for some of our listeners out there today. So ready for some questions, are you? I am ready. Yeah, that you know, that's from Bonneville all the way to Boardman, actually up into Tri-Cities, is absolutely some of my favorite areas to fish period for uh bass there's so many great areas up there to catch and the quality of the smallmouth up there is just up there every year that part of the rivers somewhere along there will make the top 100 best places in the country to fish yeah it just has it just has a tremendous fishery and i just want to remind everybody that you know we're going to be talking about you know, a section of the river that, that does get fished quite a bit. You know, also take care of your catch. You know, make sure that you're releasing the fish uh, so that they're safe and they can be caught again because 
In my opinion, fish are so valuable they need to be put back so we can catch them over and over again. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't think we can actually damage the the fishery on a river. There is a, a lot of fish in that. No stretches of water. Well, no, there. I agree. There is a tremendous number of fish there. I always like to just let people know that they that we need to take care of our own fisheries. I think we can look around sure. here in the Northwest, and there are other fisheries that are not doing as well. I think that the uh, big overwhelming problem is us people. They go out and catch fish, and they're they're taking out too many. So that's just my my opinion. Yeah, I think there is some mismanagement problems and, you know, a blame game that happens way too much, blaming fish that have been basically in this these waters longer than anybody in the entire Northwest has been alive. No, no, absolutely. I, I, we absolutely. should probably get into those weeds. But nope. It's nope just no, that's a discussion. Northwest anglers got to take care of our own. Yeah, that's a discussion we have to have elsewhere. You know, I just enjoy on the show talking about fishing. I just think that as anglers, we should just take care of our, our fisheries, and and it, it shouldn't have to be interfered with. But anyway, uh, what I want to get started with, let's start right from the top. When you're preparing to go fishing, and specifically bass fishing, how far in advance do you start preparing your rods, reels, your boat, just getting ready to go? Well, I guess a good example is tomorrow I will be spending the day doing all my rods and reels, going through my tackle, going through my mental aspects. I have a club tournament next Saturday, first one of the year, so I'll be going through that and going through my head probably all week long trying to figure out what do I need to take with me, what do I need, and what don't I need, especially considering the time of the year. So, you know, basically my rule of thumb, at least a week out, depending on where I'm going. And uh, a lot of times, like throughout the winter months, um, I'm prepping a lot of my stuff and going through and seeing what I need and what I don't need. But on a general tournament <clears throat> or fun fishing, probably the week before. Okay. And now we're, now I understand we've, we're coming out of winter. It's been cold and wet up here in the northwest, and oh. to say the least. <laughs> and uh, so when you're getting ready for this, what I consider early spring fishing, the water temperature is going to be, you know, somewhere between 40 and 45, maybe 48 if we're lucky. What kinds of things do you just eliminate out and not going to use, and what kind of things do you put right up to the front of the, the line as far as what you're going to use? Well, the one thing that always comes to the front of the line, especially pre-spawn early, is a jig. I, I, I'm really big on a jig. I always have been, but I I throw a jig all, all of our seasons. It's my number one go-to bait. But, you know, my rule of thumb if the water temp hits 45 degrees, I'm not afraid to throw a crankbait, you know, a medium medium diving crankbait, cover some of that water between the uh, 5 to 15-foot range because some of them fish at 45 are going to start moving up. You start getting sunnier days, warmer days. But a lot of that is relative to 
what the water temp is when you get on the water. And, you know, if you've got the main river pushing 45 degrees and you can find some of the backwaters, some of the backwaters are probably pushing 50 or better. And those fish are going to start sliding into there early in the year, sometimes earlier than people think. And that, you got to be prepared for all of that. So at that point, I pretty much will have rattle traps, crankbait, jerkbaits. I'm not a big fan of jerkbaits, but the jerkbaits are a great bait to throw uh, early, especially when the fish are still a little lethargic. They don't want to chase. So, you know, something that just goes pop, pop, pause, um, they'll come up and grab it. Um, so those are my main baits, and I, I just – huge on a jig yeah well i mean that's uh you're successful as far as uh, a lot of your club tournaments and things of that nature so i would think if if a jig is appropriate out there i would probably be using it the next thing that i wanted to talk about is is we're still kind of in that getting prepared mode and we talked about this a little earlier and i was really interested in your answer now, what gauges or what uh, do you look for as you're getting ready to go out and go fishing? And, and I know that a lot of times that you don't get to pick the date. It's like it's next Saturday, and that's it. That's when they picked it. So what do you do to try to try to get a little bit of ahead of that game? Well, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you get an idea of what the water temps already are. Uh, so you go off that. But, you know, you get storms, you get snow melt, you get those things can change the river. Um, and, and some of that stuff you really won't know until you get on the water. So I always clear my mind. And I don't go to the river with a preconceived notion, yeah, I'm going to get there, this and this is going to happen. I look at the river and I adjust myself accordingly to whatever's going on on the water at the time. Because if I go there with a preconceived notion, I may end up letting myself down and going, oh, crud, now I am not ready for this, and i got to reset my mindset. So me personally, I try not to have any preconceived notions. I, uh, I'll look and see what the water temps are, should be, in my opinion. I'll look for a, you know, a week out, and I'll look at the weather. Um the daytime highs, the overnight lows, try to get an average, and that'll tell me whether or not the river's going to come up in temperature throughout that period of time. And I can get a kind of gauge and idea of what to expect. Very good. Now, one of the other things that for folks who fish the Columbia River all the time, they're going to they're gonna just kind of go, oh, yeah. But for some folks that are listening to the to the show, and they go, hey, I don't go up to the Columbia very often. When you're getting ready to go, maybe that night before, do you check the wind speed to see what the wind is doing? Oh, yeah, especially if it's an east wind or a west wind. So basically, if it's a west wind, you know, it's going to blow all the way up the river for the most part. East wind, a lot of times, the further upriver you go, the less wind you have. The closer to... Bonneville or Cascade Locks, the harder it's going to blow. So, you know, that can determine a lot of factors. Do I want to go down there and play in the east wind if it's blowing, 
or do I want to stay, say, for example, if I'm launching out of the Hood River, do I want to stay from Drano upriver and work towards the Dalles and not go any further than Drano, which pretty much will give me calm water. If the west wind blows, obviously the further upriver you go, the bigger it gets for the most part. So, yeah, that always plays a factor. And if the wind's going to be more than 15 mile an hour in the springtime, um, I really, <laughs> it's the horrible as this sounds, I, I really don't want to be on the water because, yeah, I, I know I'm going to be into four-foot swells, three- to four-footers. And I I guess I'm becoming a uh, I'd rather fish on calm days, but, you know, we don't get to pick and choose that on the Columbia. That's part of the Columbia strength. No, absolutely. You know, that that is the one <laughs> variable out there that will, uh, will cause me to um, – actually cancel a trip. So for those folks that are just casual bass anglers and they have not fished the Columbia too much, and that's really what this podcast is all about, is showing you some new waters. Of course, fishing the Willamette, you'll almost never have a wind problem. If you get no. a decent amount of wind going up there, and to me 15 miles an hour is way over what my boat could take or what I'm willing to take, but You've got to decide for yourself, but if, you, if you're if you getting 10, 12 miles an hour and you're getting two or three foot swells, you know, it, it's safer just to hmm. find find something else to do that day. It, well, yeah, if you're going fun fishing. Um, the other thing is to always look at is the pressure. And what I look at is air temperature. So, for example, if Portland... It's going to be 55 degrees, and it's going to be 65 or 70 in the gorge. Well, you know that west wind's going to howl. So always look at your temperatures, and the closer the temperatures are together, uh, the wind's not going to be quite as strong. It's not always true. There is pressure systems that can slide in, but for the most part, if you've got even pressure, even temperatures on both sides of the gorge, uh, usually it's going to be a flat, calm day. It's it's not going to blow too much. If, if it does blow, it'll be a slight breeze. But if Portland's going to be, especially when you start hitting the summer months, if Portland's going to be 80, 85, and it's going to be 80, 85 in the gorge, you're probably going to have a flat, calm day. Yeah, those boy, those days are wonderful fishing up. Uh, up the gorge, and, and uh, you really do enjoy yourself. But, uh, I mean, I know that you have a pretty big boat, and I know that it can take some pretty heavy water, uh, but but still you're it's got to be exhausting by the end of the day to uh, uh, to fight with that, that, that wind. It's not like when I was in my 30s, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, we, back in those days, we used to go out no matter what. I would drive all the way to Arlington sometimes, and see five-footers out there, six-footers, and say, gosh, I drove all the way out here. It's a, like a two-and-a-half-hour drive, two-hour drive. I'm not turning around going home. I would just go ahead and launch and learn how to how to deal with it and learn how to cope with it. So, Yeah, except that age matters, you know, and, and, and uh, yes. I know. I know as, as I've gotten older, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... 
it's hard on you. It's hard on the body. It's hard on your yeah. back because you're really getting pounded around out there. Go ahead. I, I was going to just say to that fact. So, you know, I have found that the older I've gotten, maybe I've gotten used to it. Maybe I'm because I'm so short, I don't feel the pounding as much. Or maybe I have just slowed down so much that I've learned how to ride the waves and still make good time and not beat myself up as much. I think that we do get better at boat control as you get older. What mm-hmm. I think, I think when you're younger, you you don't care as much, so you're going to go out there and try to get the throttle up, try to get up on top. Yeah. And I, I think as we get a little older, you just try to try to get your boat to move through it rather than over the top of it. I, I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. So that, to that degree, I, I don't get as pounded as bad as I used to. I can remember days back when I was in my 30s and 40s going the next day going, oh, my God, what did I do to my body? Yeah, and, it, uh, it's hard to recover. Days. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now, <clears throat> on the river, now this mostly applies more to lakes, I think, but when you get into some water that's maybe a little off color or or maybe it's a little dirty because of, you know, it's got, some, some soil and things in it. Do you change your technique, or do you just keep keep moving along through it? You know, when you got off-colored water, so I change colors more than anything, um, or I dip and dye. I, I usually always have dip and dye in my boat. Um, not too many people see me break it out. Um, you know, I think we're pretty lucky on the Columbia. It doesn't happen all that often. Mm-hmm. Uh, it clears up pretty quick. But so if I get into muddy water, I, I like to have something chartreuse in the boat, uh, crankbait with chartreuse colors, grubs, uh, something with a chartreuse tail, something that those fish can see or something really loud that they can zero in on. Because let's face it, if it's off-colored, you almost got to bonk them in the head for them to see it or or know it's coming, right? So it really makes for tough fishing. Yeah. I I like uh, to change up and go chartreuse. Yeah, color really, color of the water really uh, always gets me because uh, where I like to fish the Willamette more than the Columbia, you can get those muddy days, and boy, it can make for a real mm-hmm. long day out there. Not giving away any of your favorite spots, because I would never do that to anybody. But <laughs> if you've not been on the river, or you're newer to that area, the Dalles, uh, Rufus, um, Hood River area, how do you read that the banks? What do you go looking for uh, as far as looking at the bank, and we're assuming you've got some decent electronics, but maybe not side scan or something of that nature. What do you recommend to those folks? You know, look for things that are unusual, things that stand out that are different. You can run along a bank, and you can look at the bank. If the bank is flat, dead straight, and there's you don't see an outcropping or or you don't see a current break coming out a little bit further, there's probably something along that bank that you would have to use your electronics to find. But if you're just running along trying to find something, look for something unusual along the bank and then go investigate it. And then take your time, use your electronics really well, but find find something that is out of the ordinary in the bank because that's usually what 
attracts the fish, it attracts the bait, it attracts food sources, you know, because it, it, it would be something that would create a current break that they can sit behind and rest and, and get out of the current. And it doesn't take a lot to make a nice current break for a bass. I mean, it can be, yeah, <laughs> yeah it can be very small little outcroppings. Very so don't, subtle. Yeah, don't forget yes. to stop and look at it. Uh, uh, yeah, and that's what I mean by anything unusual, anything different. So you know, and almost every riprap wall has some outbreaks from it. And you know, in general, riprap is always a good good place to go because. You know, even if you can't see it under the water or while you're above the water, underwater there's going to be rocks that come out further than the other rocks along there somewhere. So, you know, all riprap walls along there somewhere has got something different about them. Yeah, now that's so really always worth looking into. <clears throat> that's really important. I had not really considered that because when you're sitting in a boat and you're – 20 feet out or so, and you're throwing in toward a bank, you're looking at that big riffraff wall, and you're thinking, well, it's just a riffraff wall. You're not thinking about the fact that there could be a big rock sticking out there, and you, you're you going to have to kind of hunt it down with uh, with just casting and, and uh, working in behind it. But uh, right. that's a great, great point. Yeah, because, you know, not not all things are equal. So, right. yeah, it, it's, you know, riffraff isn't built like a house where it's just perfect, you know, even houses aren't built perfect and no walls are exactly a hundred percent 90 degrees. So when you look at riprap, you got to think in the same terms that there's going to be subtle differences. They, they may not be on the surface, but under the surface, you may see it. So when you're along there fishing, uh, say you found yourself a bank, you found something unusual, and and I don't know the Columbia very well, so you you'll have to help me with this one. Are there some uh, holes and impressions along the way there where you may see a four or five foot uh, difference in depth? You know, yeah, and and not all riprap is that way, but some some riprap you can go along and be in four and five foot of water, and then as you're going along it. All of a sudden, it breaks into 10, 18, 20 feet, 25 feet. Um, so there, there are quite a few, quite a few of them. Typically, if you see really good, strong weed lines, um, and they're just pretty straight, a lot of times, right in front of them, weed lines is usually a pretty good break. And a lot of weeds will grow right out in front of riprap. So if you got deep riprap, typically you won't see too many weeds you'll usually see weeds where the riprap shallows up along the shoreline, right? Yep. And then you'll see the weeds growing. And if you don't see weeds along riprap, it usually would indicate the riprap is fairly deep. Okay, that's that's a good tip uh, to know how deep that is. Now, in the spring, because we're, we're right here in the early part of the spring, are you looking for what depth of water? Do you like to start in, and then where do you move to? Actually, early spring, I don't know I'm looking so much for a depth of water other than, you know, my experience on the Columbia River, and fortunately I've got a lot of years. But if I was a beginning angler, and at one time I was, 
I would still think in the process of, okay, let me look at a map. Where is the most likely place those fish are going to go to spawn? And then I'm going to look for areas near there where they could stage up. And whether it be 15 feet of water, 20, 25, 30, 35 feet of water nearby there, but that's where they're going to come and stage before they move in to where they may spawn. So, and, that, and that's always been my philosophy as long as I can recall fishing. I, I mean, I, I can remember thinking back in days, okay, I don't generally catch a lot of fish out in these areas, but I know if the fish go in here and spawn, so where's the closest place they would stage up or come to after they spawn, and I would search those places out. Yeah, again, that is, that's really good information to find, because they're going to school up at some point you know, along the way here. Yeah. And, that, and once you find that, then you're you're into the fish. Now, from... Yeah, and that's probably why I get accused. I, I'm a, well known as being a spot fisherman. Mm. <clears throat> so, and that's what I do. I search those out. I, I look for those specifically. And... and Maybe that's why I've had some really good success is because of that. So when you say a spot fisherman, you're saying I've got a spot here, here, and here, and that's where I'm going to go check first. Is that what you're? Is that what you're oh, saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in a typical day of a tournament fishing, I may hit anywhere from ten to twenty, twenty-five spots. Let's let's, let's talk about that for just a second because. Uh, I have been on the Columbia, I've been on the Willamette River, and there have been tournaments going on. Let's talk about the etiquette for just a, just a few minutes about if you're in a tournament and fishing, tell me about the etiquette. And if you're just a casual Saturday afternoon fisherman, what should they be looking out for and what should they do? Well, etiquette is if somebody's already sitting on an area and you want to go to it, Leave it. Let them have the area. Cycle back to it later. Uh, if they're already on it, you know, or you can move down and wait for them to move off of it. But, you know, never encroach upon somebody else. And, you know, you, you always try to avoid cutting somebody off. Uh, you know, <clears throat> but that's subject to different people's interpretation of what what is cutting somebody off. So on the Columbia, I just try to... Uh, let them have the area and move on somewhere else, and then I'll come back to it later. And and if somebody tells you they're catching fish somewhere, it, it's so wrong in a tournament to go in there and move in on them. That, that to me, is probably one of the worst things somebody can do. But you, you can always uh, just give people the room and try to be as good of a sportsman as you can. I, I think one of the best things I've ever heard a tournament director say is if you're fishing tournament level and you can't find your own fish, you got no business fishing in a tournament level. Yeah, that's a great that's a great piece of advice because you know, if you fish that area, you you should know some places where there are fish and I have I have watched tournaments. Uh, I've been in my boat actually out on the Willamette, and I, I just move back and I just watch uh, how they work. And 
And uh, the one thing that I always notice is once I leave, you know, once they've fished it and, and they move on, if I have a specific technique that I like to use or a, or a spot that I like to go to, I almost always will still catch fish there. They don't get them all, believe it or not. So. Uh, oh, no. you. And, and the other thing is you may not be throwing the same baits they were throwing. Um, or the fish just moved up and they weren't there when, you know, they weren't moved up to feed when they were there. You, you just never know. Um, the fish don't have a clock like we do. <laughs> they have their own clock. Right. Now, from now we're here in early March. I know not a lot of people are going to listen to this, you know, through through uh, March and maybe to April, maybe even longer than that. But from when the start, when the fish start getting active, to where they're moving into the spawn, typically, how many days or weeks is it? We, we I know we can't predict it exactly, but what is your your opinion on that? I think you got fish that will spawn and certain amount that'll stay shallow for months. Me personally, my favorite time of fishing is pre spawn, post summer spawn, summer and fall. But pre spawn and fall are my two favorite times to fish. Summer, gosh, you know, you never know. <laughs> summer you can have a blast catching them in two foot of water or a blast catching them in thirty feet. You, you just got to figure out what they're doing. It, that's always a puzzle, um, trying to find not so much fish because all of us in the summer can go out there and catch 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 fish a day, pound and a half, two pounders, but trying to catch them bigger fish, that, that is a big puzzle to put together. And, you know, that that is really rewarding when you can figure it out. Oh, absolutely. Now, I consider myself one of those people. I can go out and get multiple numbers of fish, but they're not the big ones. <laughs> they're the they're the two-pounders. No. <laughs> I don't ever seem to get the really big fish. But Now, also when you're fishing, typically in a tournament, you're, you're, you're fishing two people, typically, uh, and you've got somebody mm -hmm. in the back of the boat. So technique different why? Techniques different wise what do you suggest the person who's sitting in the back of the boat and i'm not necessarily talking about a tournament fisherman i'm just talking about somebody who's back there who's who's fishing and you've got somebody who's running the uh the front of the boat well okay so well that's kind of a two-folded thing so if i'm still searching to figure something out i would prefer the guy if i'm on the front of the boat let me do some of the reactionary stuff from the front, but I fish a jig as well as a lot of people fish a reaction bait, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty good with a jig. I, I've got multiple ways that I can make a jig work for me, mm -hmm. but I'm also really good at throwing swim baits. Uh, you know, the the more Kitech style swim baits, I'm not talking these 12-inch swim baits that you're fishing for five fish all day long, but, uh, you know, the smaller 4-3, 4-4 type swim baits, 5-inch swim baits, or a crankbait or a rattle trap from the front of the boat and let the guy in the back throw some plastics behind the boat or drag or throw something different until you figure out a pattern, and then you both get on that pattern in a tournament fashion. Um, sometimes that really helps 
you quickly discover what the best technique for that day would be. Um, if you're just fun fishing and just going out to have a good time, I, I don't think it really matters. Fish whatever you're comfortable fishing, whatever whatever you've got the most confidence in. Well, I think this will be a great place to take a quick break and talk a little bit about one of our new partners. That is Fish Fighter Products. If you want some of the finest products to organize your boat, take a look at Fish Fighter Products. Let's hear a little more about Fish Fighter Products. Fish Fighter Products, building the ultimate fishing accessories for the hardcore fishermen. Built in the Northwest, built to last, and help you chase the fish and not your gear. Whether you need a precision anchoring system, tackle trays, or a complete sliding rail system for your boat, Fish Fighter has the solution for you. To see the products the pros use, go to fishfighterproducts.com, made in America, and damn proud of it. And now let's get back to the show and finish our interview with Tom Hartshorn. Well, and that, that's important too is, you know, you may have somebody in the back of the boat who's confident with one kind of bait and you may be confident with an, another sure. type and just say, hey, throw them both because we'll, we'll figure it out. Now, for the, person right. sit, for the person sitting in the back of the boat, do you recommend that they do some drop shotting or, or maybe even a Ned rig where they're right on the bottom? Does that, does that work in the I early spring? I sometimes would tell them to throw like a, a, a mojo setup or a Carolina rig. You know, it, Carolina rig, mojo setup, or split shot, to me, is pretty much the same type of technique. Uh, they're, they're all three based off of the same thought process of a Carolina rig. But, you know, you can never go wrong throwing a, a, a lizard or, you know, a five-inch or four-inch lizard behind you or a baby brush hog because they're going to catch fish doing that. There is no question they will catch fish. And, and sometimes that's where that bigger fish comes from, doing something like that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I will totally agree. I was uh, up on the Willamette uh, a couple of years ago, not last year so much, but uh, uh, I love finesse fishing, and I and I really like the Carolina rig, and I had a baby brush hog uh, on that particular uh, day, and I had found a hole that was uh, 20 feet deep. So I was mm-hmm. I had put the boat in the middle of the hole and uh, set my, my uh, spot lock, so I was kind of sitting still. And I just threw around the edges. I just kept kind of working a 180-degree circle, and then the guy on the other side of the boat was working the other side. And uh, we caught several fish, uh, probably in the 8 to 10 numbers, just messing around with that hole. So I'm assuming that the fish were kind of huddling down in that hole, waiting for for uh, something to swim down there, or maybe a, you know, like a crawdad to crawl down there. But we were uh, we did quite well just sitting in a hole, so I was quite happy. Yeah, with that. And, and that's really important because you know I use the mojo setup more so, and, and which is basically an in between version of a split shot and a Carolina rig, right? Mm-hmm. Um, quarter ounce weight or three um weight to get it down there, and I can drag that. I can run. 8 to 12-pound line doing that. Generally, I run 8 to 10 if I'm using a mojo setup. I, I try not to use heavier than 10-pound line in that because you, you are somewhat of a finesse 
Um, and then a lighter hook than some people might think. Like I try to use a number one or a number two hook, um, never any bigger than a one-aught. So somewhere in there, especially with a, uh, a lizard or a baby brush hog, because I don't want the, the weight of the hook to overpower the bait itself. Oh, that's important, so, yeah. Because you can get a hook that's, uh, that will just overpower that bait, and it'll just, it won't be able to float. It won't right. be able to, to kind of pretend like yeah. it's a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a key factor in being able to get those extra bites and the better bite. Well, that's, that's what's little, so important. Little fish could care less. They'll eat anything. <laughs> You well, can probably sometimes throw their hook and catch a little fish. <laughs> yeah, I mean they are kind of uh, you know they're left behind. The big fish are going to go after the better looking presentation, and the small right. fish are kind of yeah. left to fend for themselves. And so they may go after things that are not quite as appetizing. Yeah, how many times have you seen a little little fish come after a bait that's twice its size? <laughs> you know, oh, what are you doing, fish? <laughs> Oh. It's, I, I just honestly think the little fish don't care. They're they're more aggressive and reactive than I think bigger fish may be. And, and I may be overemphasizing this. Uh, I'm not saying they're smarter, but, you know, they've got age behind them, so they're probably more particular than little fish. Yeah, yeah, I've never quite figured that aggressiveness out because a big fish will not quite go after certain things and you know like you said I've had I've had a whopper plopper in the water uh early one morning and I had a little I had a fish that wasn't as big as the whopper plopper go after it and I'm like you're not going to get your you're not going to yeah. get hooked because you know it was fun to watch it try to attack it but it, you know it's like now you're you're not going to get that yeah, and um, it, it, it's hard to say because we don't have the brain of a fish, but is it curiosity or is it just aggressiveness? Mm. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But yeah. Now, as as we get a little further along, not too many weeks along, then after the spawn, what starts to happen in your fishing techniques? Because those fish kind of back off a little bit for a bit. What do you do during that period yeah. of time? I <laughs> I slow way down. A lot of people will fish faster. I tend to fish slower at you know in the post spawn. I tend to take a bait that I can just dead stick, uh, you know, tube or you know some of my slower techniques. I'll drop down to a an eight ounce type of stuff fish shallow, fish around weeds, fish around rock, because those fish are coming out of the spawn. They're moving out. Um, some of them get pretty aggressive, um, and they start fattening up. But I have found I do better using baits that can just sit in the water and waggle at them or be sitting still and not have to move a lot. Um, and I tend to do better doing that. Well, that is, that's a yeah, great point. Going through with a crankbait or a rattle trap. A rattle trap's a great bait for searching fish at that time mm-hmm. um, because those fish are looking to feed, and that rattle trap, they'll zero in on it. Yeah, but, and, they're, and they're looking for, with a rattle trap, you're trying to make noise. You're trying to get a reaction. 
uh, out of those yeah. fish. And and once you find them, then you can try other things to to also get them to right. bite. But yeah, and, and a bait that probably you know everybody has it in their arsenal is a square bill. Square bill is really good at that time of year too. Square yeah. bill is a really good uh, bait. Um, once they've moved into the shallows, mm-hmm. they're not quite spawning, but they're in there. That's a great bait for that too. Yeah. Now the other thing up on the um, when you talk about the square bill, when you when you get up on the Columbia, and especially early in the year like this, uh, I like to to throw a color that sort of looks like um, you know maybe a, a a baby yellow perch, you know, kind of that whitish with a little yellow in it. For some reason, they really like to go after that kind of stuff too. Um, yeah, that that perch is a good color. Um, I like the green crawdads. A lot of other guys I know have great success on red crawdad colors. Um, but either way, you can't go wrong with a crawdad color crankbait, period. No, right. Um, I, I think when you start throwing shad imitation colors, I think you're you're moving more into summer and early fall. Uh, they seem to work better. Um I don't know. I've ever found a time of the year from post-spawn through the fall that a rattle trap won't catch a fish. And we were talking earlier about the wind. I can't think of a better bait that if you got a west wind, you want to go down a bank, go go put your boat, go downstream, turn your boat up, let that wind blow you upriver, get a, a rattle trap, fire it upriver, crank it as fast as you can crank it, <laughs> and you'll catch fish. Now that's important because I I run into this all the time and I and I I some I'm about fifty percent of the time good at it, but when you got a wind going, make sure that you set your boat and you may want to re-describe it again. Set your boat so that you're going to get a drift past where you want to go. If, if I'm saying it correctly. Well, I, I look at it like so. The west wind is really good for that because. When you think about the west wind, it, it's blowing to the east. So it's going to push you upstream. The current's coming downstream. Fish, typically, even with the wind on the top of the surface of the water, because the wind's only affecting the surface. It's not affecting two and three feet below, right? So if you fire a bait upstream, you're going to get a longer cast, but you've got to cast faster because that wind's pushing you. But the fish are used to seeing things coming downstream to them. So you kind of set up a perfect storm when that happens. Yeah, exactly. So you're trying to get your drift going so that you're passing the area that you want to fish. Uh, so you got to be kind of quick moving through there. I know there's an area that I like to yeah. go to where you're out in the current, and so you're drifting pretty fast, but the water the bank is is sheltered and I can't quite get my boat into that area where I want to be so I just drift on by and it, it's you only get two or three casts at best but uh, boy when you hook into them there it's really fun because now you're moving and you've got to you've got to fight the fish with a moving boat so that part that part is kind of fun yeah and, and you just got to be quick at it you got to be reactive really quick um I, I I like to in those cases rattle trap, 
or put a round head with a grub on it and fire it up and just, you know, have a 6 3 to 1 gear ratio or 7 to 1 gear ratio reel with the uh, round head, 6 to 1 with a rattle trap, and just reel it fast. And, you know, those fish are going to chase it down and smack it. Because, yeah. you know, it's going to look like a flame bait to them. Now, is there a time of the year when you move into what I consider deeper water, something over over 20 feet? I start fishing, uh, like I say, pre-spawn. Uh, summer months, I will start shallow and move deep. Um, fall, uh, same thing. I'll start shallow and I'll move deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are times in the fall that I just move out deep and I stay deep all day. I don't even I don't even go up shallow. But there, you know, it, it all depends on the days because in the fall, in that transition, especially early fall, the fish will tend to move up shallow and feed early. Then they'll move out deeper, but they'll still feed deep. You just, you know, it's easier to catch them when they're up shallow because that's what they're doing. They're hunting. But when they move out deep, then you need to slow your presentation down to get them to eat. Yeah, that was a really interesting fishing that I, I, I went last fall uh, up to Boardman, and I found a bank that uh, had a nice curvature to it, and it came up to about 10 feet of water, but it dropped all the way down to probably 50 or 60 feet, and I kept it on that bank. I just kept throwing to where I would I would throw above it and then work my way down, and man, they must have been in there hunting because um, I bet the crawdads must have been crawling around because they almost every cast I was we were getting a we were getting a fish and decent oh. ones not small ones decent ones so and uh, the other side of that coin is once they got done feeding off that if you'd have backed off into the to the deep they, they you know obviously it doesn't go straight down but it'll kind of come down at a slight slant um, they could pull off into the 20 30 40 50 foot area and you can catch them down there um, so yeah, you never – Boardman, I love fishing Boardman because of the diversity of it. Oh, um, it's very you diverse. You can catch quality fish deep. You can catch them shallow. Yeah, so. there's a there's an area there in Boardman that um, it's a uh, – it has a, a little tiny outcropping. I bet that outcropping is not more than a foot long on the surface. But underneath is – is pretty big, and uh, I, I put my wife on that spot. I said, okay, if you throw right into that corner right there, she goes, yeah, but it's just a grass area. I go, I know, I know, throw it up there. And, uh, and she had a square bill on, and it, 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 she, she, she knocked one nice and, and deep into the, into the hooks. Um, but uh-huh. one, of the things, one of the things I was going to say earlier, when you're talking about the uh, uh, crawdads, when they are dark, uh, I think it's because they're coming out of their winter uh, hole and and they've gotten muddy and dirty. Now, I've been told the same thing by other people, but that's why I start off with a dark color. And, and as they swim and get cleaned up a little bit, then they get lighter and lighter or back to their kind of reddish color. So um, I usually yeah, start I with Yeah, I think you got dark different ones. stages. 
Yeah, there's different stages of them as they're moving through the water columns, but there's also different species. Um, I, I always go back to my youth when we used to, especially in California, where it was legal to fish with crawdads and and live bait, right? So when I would fish with crawdads, I'd always found, for me personally, that greenish-colored crawdads did better than the reddish-colored. Why, I don't know. But when I get at the end of the day, after fishing a tournament, and I look at my live wells, and I look at the crawdad parts in them, most of the time they're reddish-orange color. <laughs> You know, maybe I need to change my thought processes on the river, but I still always start out with greenish-colored crawdad baits, and then I move over to red. Well, they may have been, you know, orangish-red when the fish got them, because by then it's gone through their mouth, and and they there's a lot of water moving around. So I might have cleaned them up a little bit, but I I truly think that they start off kind of dirty-colored when they're when they're first coming yeah. out. I don't think they're nice and clean for a bit, but, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, my favorite crankbait used to be, um, a Lord Jensen, Olive River Crawl. That was my favorite crankbait for many, many years. Unfortunately, yeah. they're not, a, they don't make them anymore. Lord Jensen isn't made anymore, but, uh, the hot lips and the Olive River Crawl, by far my favorite color. Well, I'll I'll put a shameless plug in here. You're right. Uh, Lure Jensen, especially hot lips, are not made anymore. However, I um, if if somebody out there listening to the show has some older Lure Jensen uh, that are not painted the right color, or if they uh, want a hot lips uh, type lure, uh, send me an email at uh, gone fishing. PDX at gmail.com. I know somebody in the uh, Portland area who will repaint lures uh, at a reasonable cost, and they can make them any color you want. So I wanted, for example, a bunch of hot lips in Funky Chicken. And uh, I ended up buying, I believe, 12 of them that were all different colors. Mm -hmm. They they were nowhere near. uh, Oh, no. And... uh, uh, it's Willamette Weapons. They will repaint them for you. And the uh, Brian Chapman is okay. the owner's name. And so if you want something done, give me a, send me an email. I'll, I'll put you in touch with them, and he can repaint them to the colors that you want. So all is not lost, even though Lure Jensen's not made anymore. And I yeah, I know a lot of people, you know, they, they've had that favorite lure, and now it's gone. And they're like, well, I guess i got to move on, you know, because they can't get it anymore. But. I have a box full that Brian has painted for me, and I got about 30 of them sitting up on my my wall over here that I just looked at and counted. I got about 30 of them sitting up there that are not painted yet. Yeah, they're, they're sitting there waiting for me to run out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, if you've got a stock of them, you know, you just have to hang on to them because they, you know, you don't want them to uh, to get away. Oh, when Laura Jensen was going out and they were going to quit making them. I went straight to eBay and started buying bulk. You know, guys would put uh, five or six in a group and crap. I was getting them for as much as like two to three dollars per crankbait before people realized, oh, they're really valuable. <laughs> now, oh yeah, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, go on, uh, go on eBay now and look at them. 
people figured it out really yeah. fast. I uh, I did the same thing. I, I went on eBay and bought some. I also uh, found a couple of outfitters uh, locally that had some uh, Lure Jensen um, hot lips, mm-hmm. and I bought all of them that they had. Some of the other folks that I know bought them also so that we got our stock. You know, we got a few of them up there. Exactly. And, and some and you know speaking of Brian, and I'm going to put a shameless plug in for Brian too, um, being you brought him up. Brian is notorious for matching the hatch and colors. He spends an enormous amount of time of researching bait colors, bait fish, and trying to match that color exact. And he he does his due diligence incredible. He. He goes out and traps crawdads and looks at the colors. He gets pictures of them. Um, he goes to ODFW or WDFW to find out exactly what the name of the crawdad is, why they're there, why their coloring is different. He does all this research to be able to paint these colors. You don't find too many custom painters that do that, but no. that, that's something Brian does that's special. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. He for for somebody who's painting or repainting crankbaits, um, not only does he do all that research, but he does such an excellent job of doing the painting. Yes. It's not just a repaint; it's it's matched. I mean, the colors under colors. Uh, I've went out to his place and and watched uh, the process, and it's uh, it's nearly an uh, nearly an art. Yeah. yeah, nearly an art. Well, yeah, been, he, he has been doing it for a while. Long time. Yes. Well, we've been talking quite a bit. That's my shameless plug. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've been talking a lot of time. What would you give? What advice would you give? And I don't get a lot of beginners on here, but sometimes I do. What would you give a um, uh, advice to a beginner who's who's wanting to get into warm water or bass fishing? You know, do a little bit of research. Um, hook up with a local club and become a non-boater. And go out with the experienced guys and let them show you some things and teach you some things. And listen to some of the guys um, that are not just talkers, but, you know, are pretty good. And, you know, do some research. There, There's a ton of availability research YouTube, um, I'm forever learning new stuff all the time. I have friends of mine that send me, hey, check this out, this new technique or this technique. And uh, because of that, I've come across two techniques now that somebody has recently sent me out that we're going to keep it under wraps for the time being, but uh, are really good techniques for when the fish are really not real active that can fire them up. And um, I don't know if it'll work, but, you know, we're certainly going to experiment to that. But if you're a new guy, get into these clubs and join a local club and let some of those guys teach you some of the ropes and teach you, you know, instead of going through the school of hard knocks. I mean, because you want a good rod, good reel, um, and you don't want to have to go spend thousands and thousands of dollars on tackle, just keep it simple. 
um, something you can drop shot with, something you can throw a swim bait with, um, a crankbait or a rattle trap, and you'll have a blast. Yeah, it's it's a great uh, it's a great thing to take up. Uh, when I was growing up, my uh, my experience was all I was handed was uh, a crankbait. And no instructions on the crankbait. Just throw that and reel it back in. <laughs> and I hated I hated bass fishing. You never caught anything, oh um, you know. Um, and so I went for years and years with like, geez, I hate I hate bass fishing because all you do is crank the thing in and you never have a fish on. Years later, <laughs> I did exactly what you said. You know, I joined up with a club, and I started watching what other people were doing and. The one thing that I found was find one bait that is your go-to bait, something that will work. It can be as simple as a grub on a jig head, very simple, nothing nothing fancy oh, yeah. at all. And then you will expand your knowledge base to where you start throwing crankbait correctly, rattle traps. Um, you know, my mine is Ned Rig and, and Carolina Rigs. I love throwing them because I love finessing the fish. Um, but it took years. Oh. <laughs> it shouldn't take years. <laughs> um, so find what your go-to bait is and, and then start using it and uh, time on the water. Spend the time out there exploring different waters. Now, I know that you're a um, edge rod ambassador, so I got to let you get a little bit in there for edge rod. Well, you know, edge rod is making some great strides to getting equipment out to people quicker now. Um, you know, I started with edge rods five, six years ago, seven years ago, and I I got to honestly say, since I've been with edge rods. My winning and placement has gone way up. And I really do think it's because of the rod and the sensitivity of the rod. They're not for everybody. The price point is, I think, outstanding for the quality of rod you're getting. You can't get a better price point. Um, if you're a TBF member, uh, by all means, Edge Rods. If you're TBF Oregon, you get a 30% uh, discount on Edge Rods. They are really supportive of TVF Oregon. So if any of the listeners out there are interested that are TVF members um, and want to get an Edge Rod, get a hold of me. Um, I'm the president for the TVF Oregon, and we can get you hooked up with uh, ordering an Edge Rod. So, And if you're not a TVF member, Become one, come out and fish our circuit, and you can take advantage of a lot of the stuff, great stuff we have going in TBF Oregon. Well, thank you. And, Tom, what I'll do is I'll put the website address in the show notes for TBF Oregon. Okay. And folks can click on the link. That will get them to TBF, and then they can uh, contact you. Or if they want to contact me, send me an email, and I am I am happy to, uh, to direct one, them to you. One thing I would like to put out for your listeners especially because, you know, it's PDX Bass for, I don't know how many people have heard of Discount Tackle or know of Discount Tackle, but please start supporting Discount Tackle. They're a local local warehouse um, in Wilsonville, Oregon. 
and they carry the same products that uh, you can get at Tackle Warehouse, but you're going to get it a lot faster. <laughs> and the, the price point is the same, if not cheaper. So uh, check out Discount Tackle. Uh, for most of us here in the Northwest, it's sometimes it's overnight, sometimes it's uh, no later than two days. If you order before one o'clock in the afternoon, a lot of times you'll get it the next day. Well, I just like the fact that we're spending our money local. You know, whether it be uh, yeah. rods or yeah, or or tackle. You know, uh, stay local. It's it's uh, it helps you. It helps yeah. our folks. Yeah. Well, Tom, yeah, I'd like and, to think... And, and I would be remiss not to put that plug in. No, no. Um, yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you for stopping by and, you know, talking a little bit about, you know, helping people out with bass fishing and then, you know, some techniques that I think will help uh, everybody out bass fishing. So thank you very much for stopping by. Well, thank you very much, John, for having me on board. And it's always my pleasure. I... You know, I have a passion, and I have a passion for people wanting to get into bass fishing. And I, I think within the next four to five years, you're going to see a lot of a lot of improvement and a lot of uh, really cool things start to happen in the Pacific Northwest when it comes to bass fishing. More and more people are coming over to the bass fishing thing, and, and it's not a hit against salmon, steelhead, fisheries, or sturgeon. It's just people need to have other things to fish for. And... I think it's really great that we can all start learning to get along together. Um, you know, the the old stigma of bass fishing and salmon steelhead, oh, my God, those ditch pickle people, whatever, I, I, that is starting to go by the wayside. Uh, more and more people are starting to come out and enjoy catching bass. Couldn't agree with you more. It's a perfect spot to, uh, to end it and – if you've got any questions, make sure you email me. And there he goes. I'd like to thank Tom for his time. I know he's a very busy guy working tournaments and all the things that he's doing, but I really do appreciate him stopping by. Well, you know, we're continuing to grow. I watch the audience every time I put out a podcast, and the numbers keep going up and up and up. And, you know, of course, we can be heard on all the big platforms, including Spotify. But... Did you know that we can also be found on Google? That's right. Just bring up your browser and you can Google Talking Bass in PDX and share it with your friends. We would really appreciate it. If you're listening to us on iTunes, make sure you give us a, a review. Five-star review would be really great. I would like to thank Lunker Tech for partnering with Talking Bass in PDX. And I would like to thank our newest partner, Fish Fighter Products. If you're looking at some of their products, check out YouTube. There are some fantastic videos out there on Fish Fighter products. Now, if you catch me out on the water this year, you're going to see that I have added a couple of new Fish Fighter products to my boat. And boy, do they help me organize my boat even better. So I'd like to thank Fish Fighter products for partnering with Talking Bass and PDX. In the show notes, I'll have information on Lunker Tech and Fish Fighter products. And as I promised, I'll also put the website for the Bass Federation of Oregon in there too. For show ideas or feedback, email me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. I get to see all those emails and I get some really good ones from time to time. 
Well, I'd like to thank everybody. Until next time, this has been Don Clark, Talking Bass in PDX, and I'll see you on the Backcast. Thank you.